You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Ukraine shakes up its security and prosecutorial services. Cyber attacks hit Albania. Advanced persistent threat actors prospect journalists. The GRU is said to be trolling researchers who look into sandworm. Thomas Etheridge from CrowdStrike on identity management. Our guest is Robin Bell from Egress, discussing their human activity risk report. And CISA opens a liaison office in London. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 18th, 2022. The AP reports that yesterday, July 17th, Ukrainian President Zelensky dismissed two senior members of his government. SBU Chief Ivan Bakanov, described as a childhood friend and former business partner of the president, and Prosecutor General Irina Venediktova. The dismissals were prompted by concerns about treason and collaboration with Russian occupation forces. Zelensky said, In particular, more than 60 employees of the prosecutor's office and the SBU, the State Security Service, have remained in the occupied territory and work against our state. He added in his regular video address to the nation that such an array of crimes against the foundations of the state's national security and the links recorded between Ukrainian security forces and the Russian special services raise very serious questions about their respective leaders. What effect the shakeup will have on Ukrainian cyber operations remains to be seen. We'll be following developments. Albania suffered a major cyber attack yesterday. Balkan Insight and other sources report. Government sources stress the attack's foreign origin and unprecedented scope. The Council of Ministers said in a statement, Albania is under a massive cybernetic attack that has never happened before. This criminal cyber attack was synchronized from outside Albania. Cyber News quotes the Albanian National Agency for the Information Society on the government's decision to shut down some of its online services. They say, 
In order to withstand these unprecedented and dangerous strikes, we have been forced to close down government systems until the enemy attacks are neutralized. Among the services disrupted are the websites of Parliament and the Prime Minister's Office, as well as eAlbania, the government portal that all Albanians, as well as foreign residents and investors, have to use to use a slew of public services. Services were still undergoing restoration today. Little information is available about the details of the attacks, and so far there's been no attribution. Observers continue to comment on Proofpoint's study of attempts by intelligence services in Turkey, Iran, China, and North Korea to either impersonate journalists or gain access to news media networks. Bleeping Computer describes the attempts as preparatory activity intended to serve broader espionage campaigns, writing, The adversaries are either masquerading or attacking these targets because they have unique access to non-public information that could help expand a cyber espionage operation. Their efforts include both spoofing and credit harvesting. Forbes sought advice from Proofpoint for media outlets and working journalists. Sherrod DeGrippo, Proofpoint Vice President of Threat Research and Detection, told Forbes, There are a number of ways journalists can protect themselves from APT attacks. One is for journalists and their associated outlets to understand their overall level of risk. For example, we've seen targeted attacks against academics and foreign policy experts, particularly those working on Middle Eastern foreign affairs. So individuals in this line of work should be particularly cautious. Another is if journalists are going to use email addresses outside of their corporate domain, such as Gmail or ProtonMail, They should list those publicly on their website so public sources can verify whether or not it's a legitimate email. Conversely, experts approached by journalists should check the journalist website to see if the email address belongs to the journalist. Proofpoint also suggested that all organizations try to arrive at some clarity concerning which of their people are most likely to receive this sort of attention and that they tailor their training and other protective measures appropriately. Dark Reading reports that ESET, which will be offering a report on countermeasures to the Sandworm Malware Indestroyer 2 at Black Hat next month, says it's being trolled by the GRU. They write, The Sandworm attackers disguised the loader for one of its data-wiping variants as the IDA Pro reverse engineering tool, the very same tool the researchers had used to analyze the attacker's malware. ESET thinks this is no coincidence, but rather a right-back-at-you from the aquarium to let ESET know that the GRU knows what ESET's studying and that the GRU doesn't care. ESET's Robert Lepofsky said, It's fairly clear the attackers are fully aware we are onto them and blocking their threats. They are maybe trolling us, I would say. Lepofsky also said the GRU deployed a Trojanized version of ESET security products in the course of its attacks on Ukrainian networks. He observed, They were sending a message that they were aware we are doing our job protecting the users in Ukraine. Yes, it's a dog-bites-man story, but worth following. In general, if you're interested in the GRU, you might well count on the GRU being interested in you. And finally, this morning, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced in an email to its media contacts that it will establish its first attaché office abroad this month and that it will be located in London. The agency's announcement said, 
the attaché office will serve as a focal point for international collaboration between CISA, UK government officials, and other federal agency officials. The CISA attaché will advance CISA's missions in cybersecurity, critical infrastructure protection, and emergency communications, and leverage the agency's global network to promote CISA's four international strategic goals, advancing operational cooperation, building partner capacity, strengthening collaboration through stakeholder engagement and outreach, and shaping the global policy ecosystem. CISA's first attaché will be Julie Johnson, most recently Regional Protective Security Advisor for CISA in New York, and also CISA's regional lead for federal interagency working groups. She came to CISA from the U.S. Department of State, where she worked on the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement, and Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. Congratulations and best wishes to Ms. Johnson as she gets ready to get to work in London. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Security firm Egress recently published a report focused on what they describe as human-activated risk, highlighting the security risks organizations face, particularly from non-technical employees and the tools they use on a daily basis, things like email. Robin Bell is Chief Information Security Officer at Egress. The volume of email in the first place, and the, uh, the hmm. predicted volumes, I think it was... Uh, 376 billion emails every day by 2025 is predicted. Even with the shift of messaging systems like Slack and Teams being taken into account, that's still a mind-boggling number. And those are things that that, people have got to deal with 
every day you sit down to an inbox flooded with, with email and, and try and sort out what you need to deal with and what's what's uh, not relevant. You know, some of the, the things that caught my eye reading through the report here, uh, you all pointed out that uh, just over half of the IT leaders say that their non-technical staff are only somewhat prepared or, or not at all prepared for a security attack. What's causing that gap there? Why do we feel as though more folks aren't where they should be? Email is just so prevalent in everybody's life. It's just, it's something that you use whether you're in work, whether it's at home, whether you're organizing things for your kids' school. It's 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 just used all day, every day. And um, it's just taken for granted. So people just see emails, they just respond to them, and they don't really necessarily think about the consequences of, of what that might be or, or clicking on links in, in emails. There are, there's such a vast array of different technologies for organizations to work with as well to, to put in place mitigations for those. And they're not always very end-user friendly. Uh, you know, they're sometimes they're more administrative-based than, than user-based. Well, how does an organization best balance those two elements then? You know, the, the human element versus the technology side of things. What are your recommendations for dialing that in? Well, user training is is definitely a key aspect of that. And you know, we, we've, we have quite an extensive program of kind of internal training for colleagues just on, on how to spot uh, phishing emails and, and emails that might lead to compromises. And obviously not just in work, but for, for home use as well, um, you know, getting banking email into your personal email address. So, so that, that definitely that aspect is, is, a, is a core core way to help to help mitigate and manage that. But it's also, as I said, it's, it's around having tooling that, that, that helps users make those decisions at the time that's something they're about to make an action that could result in a compromise. And I, I like the saying that, um, I don't know where it came from, but I'll pinch it anyway, that, that we're always just one click away from a breach. And that's the, the idea that there are so many users and so many emails, it only takes one mistake to result in, in, in a, a compromise or, or a breach. Uh, so having tools that can help users prevent whether that's inbound or outbound uh, email threats at the time they're occurring rather than trying to deal with them later from a rot. Where do you suppose we're headed here? I mean, is you know, I, I can't think of anyone that I know certainly who looks forward to going through their email. You know, it seems like a it's sort of a necessary evil. We accept that, you know, we must do it, but nobody that I know enjoys it. Uh, and the security aspects are, are part of that. Is there any uh, hope of, of uh, progress in the future with that? Or does it seem like, you know, we've been stuck with email for all this time and looks like uh, that's what the future holds? Well, I, I mean, the, the, there's definitely a shift to more messaging type of communications in a lot of organize, organizations. But they, they, they largely hold all the same similar mm. challenges as email does. You know, you still, you, you log into to Teams, for example, and you can sit there with, 50 different Teams channels pinging away nonstop all, all day and, and links being there and, and having external users that you're communicating with outside of your organization. So a lot of those risks also exist in those messaging platforms as well as email. What are the take-homes for you from this report? What are the things that you hope people take away from it? I think it's, I mean, the key, the key thing is that, that people make mistakes. You know, obviously there are, 
malicious actors who'll, who'll go out there and, and deliberately trying to to compromise whether that's whether that's they're trying to compromise your organization or whether they're kind of taking part in a scam to fraud to get some vouchers or something like that. Those things happen. But it's more likely that it's it's an accident. You know, someone's not concentrating, they're working late, they've got an email through on the phone, it looks urgent, and they're, they're clicking to respond. So, as I said, having good training in place and, and making sure people understand the sort of pressures colleagues would put on each other in order to get something done and what's acceptable and what isn't. But it's making sure that you've got tools that are kind of ubiquitous across the different environments you've, you've used, whether you're using Outlook as a client or a mobile device, and have uh, advice on, on whether that email is, is a risk or not. That's Robin Bell from Egress. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Thomas Etheridge. He's Senior Vice President of Services at CrowdStrike. Thomas, it's great to have you back. Uh, I want to touch today with you on identity management, which I know is something that you and your team there at CrowdStrike focus on. What can you share with us today? First of all, Dave, it's great to be back. Uh, identity seems to be coming uh, the new endpoint, so to speak. We've seen a, a huge influx of incidents uh, over the last year. With those incidents and ransomware outbreaks, uh, the big denominator is that most of them occur uh, through the use of stolen credentials. So identity is increasingly more important uh, from a security perspective based on the threat actors and the activities we see from an incident response perspective. And what sort of shifts are we seeing to improve our security in this particular area? In terms of security, Dave, uh, there's a big focus around understanding identities, privileges, privileged accounts, who has them, whether or not they're compromised. And the concept of zero trust is uh, becoming increasingly more important for organizations as they try to build out a framework that protects uh, critical assets and infrastructure uh, within their organizations. What sort of things are you and your team recommending here in terms of you know, organizations who want to get on top of this? What's your words of wisdom? Well, first of all, there's there's a lot of confusion around what is zero trust. So one thing we, we try to do is educate customers on what it is and what it is not. Zero trust requires that all users, whether in or outside of an organization's network, uh, that they should be authenticated, authorized, and continuously validated before being granted uh, and maintaining access to certain systems and applications and the data that they're using. 
So really putting a kind of a, a model in place that allows organizations to better get visibility into how identities are being leveraged in their organization, to monitor those and to make sure that if a user needs to get additional privileged access to resources within an organization, that they're re-authenticated through a higher level of uh, authentication to those assets. How heavy of a lift is that for organizations to, you know, to take that on? What's that transition period typically like? Well, I think the the big thing is the the cost uh, and the the time you know spent not doing it is is way too risky. We've seen an eighty two percent increase in ransomware related data leaks. Sixty two percent of the attacks we saw were malware free attacks, meaning the threat actor was able to gain access to stolen credentials um, and use those credentials to gain access into an organization's environment. And we've also seen breakout time, which is a a metric we've talked about before on this podcast, down to about 98 minutes. So organizations really have about an hour and a half in order to detect uh, a, a malicious user using stolen credentials before that user can move to other assets in the environment and potentially deploy ransomware. So there really is a focus around the technology and the people in the process to try to improve visibility and control over this particular area. What's the outlook here? Are are you optimistic that we're gaining ground on this? I am. I think this has been a huge topic in a number of the conferences recently uh, that I've attended. A lot of organizations understand the importance of identity uh, we we need access to identity data when we're performing investigations, and I think that's not lost on organizations. Identity management's not a, a new concept. It's been around for a number of years, but I think get, getting visibility and implementing controls like zero trust across organizations are things that uh, companies and organizations can do to improve their overall capabilities to detect and respond to incidents when they do happen. All right. Well, Thomas Etheridge, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security, Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. 
In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to CyberWire.com survey. That's CyberWire.com survey to share your feedback now.